Well, I'm in for Buck Sexton today. I'm uh, happy to be spending this time with you. The phone number to be a part of the conversation, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Normally, you hear me in San Diego and 760KFMB. You also uh, see my uh, daily TV show if you want to, if you want to check it out on Newsmax TV. And uh, that's on, by the way, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern time uh, for two hours uh, every morning, Monday through Friday. So, look, the big story obviously continues to be, for whatever reason, uh, this this saga involving the Mueller report. Can we just establish the fact that right out of the box, right out of the box, um, there's no collusion with the Russians, which was the point of the entire investigation. I, I know, I know. People are bummed out about the fact that we were supposed to get collusion. We were promised collusion. If we wanted our collusion, we could keep our collusion. We'd even save 2500 bucks a year, uh, just to borrow a little phrase from the Obama years. And I get it. I, people, I'd be bummed out, too. I mean, it's uh, what's a bigger bummer right now in America? If you're a progressive liberal uh, who watches uh, uh, MSNBC and, and collusion news over at CNN, is, is it watching that? Uh, or is it watching the Game of Thrones thing from last night? I don't know. Only you could tell me that one. Um, but the reality is they were promised collusion. The, the, the people who were invested heavily in drama were promised that there would be collusion at the conclusion of this uh, illusion. But it didn't happen. And they are mad. I mean, mad, furious, angry. Remember the folks who after the, uh, the, the the 2001 election and then the 2004 election that saw the defeat uh, alternately of, of Al Gore and Joe Lieberman in 2000, and then, of course, the election in 2004, Kerry Edwards. And do you remember how they would drive around with their Kerry Edwards bumper stickers on the back of their cars? And they would pretend by watching shows like The West Wing that somehow still progressives won that election. There's no safe harbor now for these folks. They have become... Uh, enraged to such a degree that if you were to put a piece of coal in their hands, you'd have a diamond by dinner time if you did it at noon. It's a remarkable thing to see how these people were invested in this mythology. So now we have phase two of the delusion. Phase one was the expected Mueller report. Remember, you would watch these uh, chat shows and you'd get the same thing over and over again. Oh, there's going to be secret information that only Bob Mueller knows that's going to be found out. Look, the reality is, and you know as well as I do, when you look at the cast of characters who were around that original investigation, your Brennans and your Clappers, um, your Strucks and your Pages, your Oars and your Oars, um, those folks... Those folks were all a bunch of sad sack bad folk, including McCabe and Comey at Hall. People, uh, look, Robert Mueller left the position of FBI director back once upon a time in the year, what was it, uh, 2013? So he leaves in 2013. They hand the command over to Jim Comey, who takes over the FBI. And, and, and then when Hillary Clinton is defeated in 2016, in 2017, Bob Mueller took over as the special counsel, right? Not an independent counsel, a special counsel working for the Department of Just Us. That's what it was under the Obama team. It was the Department of Just Us. So you had Mueller coming in there and he knows full well when he goes walking in that that who the gold bricks are, who the bad folks are, who the lazy bums are, who the who the people are not doing the people's business are inside that organization. He knows exactly who it is that's not getting the job done. So all he has to do is go through the 302s, go through the paperwork. And I bet you inside of uh, three weeks, Bob Mueller knew that if Strzok's involved, if Page is involved, if any of those people are involved, it's all a scam. 
These are bad people. These are not professional people who are delivering the goods. He knew it. He's looking at the names. He's like, oh, that guy? I remember that guy. I remember what happened in Panama City, Florida with that guy. I remember what happened with that guy in Paris. I know what happened with that guy in Hackensack, New Jersey. These are all bad people. None of these people able to put together a case. So they set up the Trump team, right? You put in spies. You do all that sort of stuff. Well, well, pause right there. Because Mueller comes out with his report, and suddenly the narrative isn't Mueller's report. It's what Bill Barr said about Mueller's report. It's Bill Barr wrote a letter, and it wasn't a complete letter. It was a summary. It was a book report. If you do four pages uh, of a book report on Moby Dick, at the end of that book report, you're not, are you going to really have somebody say, well, you didn't go enough into the, into the, into the meal plans there of, of the folks on that ship going after the great white whale? No, it, you're summarizing high points. And the highest of the high points was there wasn't any collusion. That's not been disputed. That hasn't been disputed. There's no evidence of collusion. That hasn't been disputed. What do you have? You have a volume two that Buck's talked about. Everybody else has talked about when they come on the programs. And they say, listen, the volume two is one through 12, one through 12 of a wish list of how it is Bob Mueller would have gone about impeaching Donald Trump if he could with obstruction of justice. So what happens? Well, the Democrats come out, they're made to look feckless, they're made to look very beta, and they're not getting it done. And they come out and they declare, now we have to get all the underlying paperwork for this investigation because now we don't even know if Bob Mueller was allowed to complete his work. No, no, no. He, he was allowed to complete his work. He completed his work. Him and his team completed the work. A million and a half pages of documents. They did it. It got done. The report was filed. It's now out there. And so what do we have? Well, now we have to talk to Don McGahn. Don McGahn, the White House counsel. Don McGahn is the guy who, who says, uh, uh, I, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I'll talk, maybe I won't talk. Well, the White House comes out and says he ain't talking. He's a private citizen, but we're invoking executive privilege. And we're done. And we're out of here. And we're finished. And it's over. And it's that simple. And that's not acceptable. And that's why now, today, you've got the usual suspects on the House Judiciary Committee, your Jerry Nadler's, uh, your David Cicilline's from Rhode Island, those folks who are coming out saying, this looks like if Don McGahn doesn't talk, we may need to open an impeachment inquiry. That's just in the last half hour. Just in the last half hour, Cicilline from Rhode Island comes out and he says, well, we may need to open an impeachment inquiry. And in fact, folks, it might be a bipartisan impeachment inquiry. Oh, gosh, what Republican is possibly going along with that? Justin Amash, the great hope of Michigan, Justin Amash. He comes out over the weekend and says, I have read the report, the unredacted, the stuff that's posted. I have read it all, and I have concluded there may be impeachable offenses here for President Trump. No, there, there aren't. See, because we were told... We were told a long time ago, this is going to be about collusion. It's going to be about Russians sitting down and cutting deals that the president sat down over a plate of Rudy Tootie fresh and fruities there in the St. Petersburg Denny's. And he said to, to, to then uh, President Trump, uh, to, to then President uh, uh, Putin, look, uh, I'm going to throw the election and then I'm going to win the election and then you're going to help me out and she's going to lose and I'm going to win and then I'm going to owe you and it's going to be great. Why, it's as if President Trump practically promised to be more flexible after the election. Wait a minute, that was, sorry, that was President Obama talking, talking to, to Putin's vice president then back once upon a time. Okay, so there's no collusion. 
And we're down to uh, just people staking out their territory, people just staking out their their, their political positions. And, and we don't know how this is going to end up, but I can make a prediction. The prediction is the American people are looking at their watches. The American people are feeling awfully let down and bored by this whole affair. How bad is it? You're not even seeing Democratic candidates for president talk about this investigation. They're not talking about it anymore. They don't talk about impeachment. They know this is a waste of time. Even the Democrats running for president know this is a waste of time. This is 2016 that we're still stuck and mired in. We got to move on. The American people are ready to move on. We're, we're living in a post-Muller, post-Game of Thrones world now. And as much as these folks want to complain, and they want to have a fit, and they want to do all that stuff, it's not going to change the outcome. They came on television for two, two and a half years, and they said, President Trump is a traitor, and he's committed treason, and he, is, he has helped our enemies. And the reality is, there's no there there. So if you'd like to send a message to Justin Amash, or if you'd like to send a message to David Cicilline, the leaders in the Democratic Party, the candidates who are out there marching around, feel free to pick up the phone. Give us a call at 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. Have your voice heard. Lift your voice to the heavens all the way from your house to just down the street from the White House at the Capitol. Let them know it's time to move on. Or perhaps you think it's time to continue. We'll put you at the front of the line. I'm Brett Witterbull, sitting in for Buck Sexton. It's the Buck Sexton Show, right here, back after this. It is the Buck Sexton Show. Great to be spending this time with you. Brett Witterbull sitting in for Buck, uh, keeping you company. This tweet just coming in from Adam Schiff. You know, I'm here in California. I'm behind the great blue uh, wall, the great blue curtain. And this uh, this tweet coming in from Adam Schiff just in the last couple of hours. Trump ordered Don McGahn not to testify before the American people. Duplicitous as ever. The White House says Dems don't get a do-over, ignoring the fact that the Mueller report contemplated Congress picking up where he left off. The cover-up continues, and we will fight. And whatever, Adam. I, you know what? Why don't you just throw your hat in the ring and run for president? I've, I've, about had, I've about had peak. I'm at peak Adam Schiff right now. I really am. This is getting, this is getting absurd. Y'all did the investigation, and you didn't find anything. So, I mean, why, why are we still going down this road? Think about it. It's as if the president's being forced to prove a negative that he didn't obstruct, that he didn't uh, do this. Or This is just this is crazy time, and it's good because the American people have had it. Nobody wants to do impeachment. You guys want to do impeachment. Actually, you're worse than wanting to do it. I would have more respect for you if you wanted to do impeachment. What you want is to look like you're doing impeachment so that the kooks in your base, like Tom Steyer and company, are, are given a salve. That's what it is, right? Oh, it's okay. They're trying to do impeachment. They just can't do it. Look, I have uh, I have really come around to liking uh, Bill Barr, the Attorney General, and Sadie Gurman's got a piece over in the Wall Street Journal just in the last uh, hour or so, and and the title in the piece is this: Barr under fire says he's fighting for the presidency, not Trump. They keep saying he's he's Donald Trump's Roy Cohn, he's Donald Trump's uh, House lawyer. No, he's not. No, he's not. William Barr's come under criticism from Democrats and some Republicans who say he's acting more like the president's personal lawyer than the nation's top law enforcement officer. But Mr. Barr, who as a private citizen once upon a time bristled at the barrage of legal and other challenges Mr. Trump faced during his first two years in office, says his long-held belief 
in executive power is more about protecting the presidency than the current office holder. I felt that the rules were being changed to hurt Trump, and I thought it was damaging for the presidency in the long haul. What do we keep hearing? Oh, President Trump's got these. He's got authoritarian inclinations. He's got he's got these these authoritarian ways that are no good. He has been under assault for two for two years. Think about what's been done for the last two years under assault. It's absurd what we're looking at. And and for these these people to come out and, and say, well, you know, we got to keep uh, keep investigating. The truth is out there somewhere. This president is more right than people realize when he talks about this being a witch hunt. Because if you ever take a trip over to Plymouth Colony, uh, they're not Plymouth, uh, I'm sorry, uh, to Salem in Massachusetts, and you go read the history and you look at the history of the hysteria that was the original witch hunts there in Salem, you'll see it was the creation of a couple of children who made up a story about a couple of people and mania struck that colony. Mania struck that colony. You got to a place where people were forced to either admit they were witches or name another witch. And isn't that how Mueller kind of ran his investigation? Oh, did you collude? No. But then who colluded? Well, that person might have colluded. That person might have colluded. That person might have colluded. There's no collusion. Let's say one thing about this that I think is important and gets overlooked a lot. Look at President Trump. Strip away all the politics. Just look at President Trump as an individual. You're going to tell me that that personality, that that individual as a, as a man, not, not as the president, but as a man, is going to let little five foot five Vlad Putin uh, c- control him like with marionette, like a marionette. You, you, th- you really think that that's a man who's going to do that? Of course not. It doesn't run according to type. Anybody who works in intelligence understands when you are doing an intelligence profile, you are going to look at the strengths and the weaknesses of the person you're looking at. You're going to try to figure out what motivates them, what drives them. You're going to tell me that President Trump is going to be comfortable going to bed at night knowing that that Vladimir Putin's got the tricks? No way. It just doesn't work. Now, progressives might model that as what they think is that sort of behavior because progressives... You know, they're, they're kind of comfortable with getting run by the, the old Soviet Union, right? The old Soviet Republic. Look at, look at Bernie Sanders, for example. But it is a remarkable thing. These socialists on the left hate, hate when socialism's kind of cast aside. Over the weekend, great speech given by Robert Smith, who is an entrepreneur and a multi-billionaire. He also happens to be African-American. That's right. He's a black billionaire worth more than Oprah Winfrey, by the way. Just just to give you kind of an idea of of where he lands. He's got he's done a lot of investments, a lot of successful VC and things like that and and and, and helped enrich a lot of people. So there he is at Morehouse uh, College and he's speaking at the commencement. And what is he doing? He's he's speaking to those graduates. And in an unscripted, totally genuine moment, he declares, I'm going to pay your outstanding student loan debt, and your room and board debt. I'm going to help you pay it off. I'm going to pay it for you guys. That wasn't even written in the script. It wasn't in the teleprompter. He just made that announcement as a concerned human being, as an American, and as somebody who wanted to give these kids a leg up. He had been so inspired as a young man with his parents going to the very famous MLK Jr. speech, uh, I Have a Dream, and he was so motivated to want to help out the next generation that out of the kindness of his heart, he made the decision that he would 
forgive that debt on behalf of those students, so, you know, whatever it's going to cost, uh, 25, 30, 40 million dollars, whatever that money is, whatever that money is, he's helping that next generation. And who right on cue earlier today comes out on the Twitter machine and takes a big swing at, at, at this man, at Robert Smith, and says, we don't all have billionaires to help pay our student loans. That's right. Your favorite congresswoman from Queens, AOC, complaining that this billionaire stepped up with his own money and, and took care of the debt of these students just starting out in life with one proviso, by the way, with one proviso, that they pay it forward down the road, that they pay it forward down the road. So, so you, have, you have this amazing act of charity, free will given to help these kids out on this new road. And we've all been there. If you graduated college and you had any debt, you know that's certainly a concern as you start your life. It affects the sort of jobs you take, whether or not you could do graduate studies, anything like that. And he does a fundamentally great thing. And what happens? The socialists, they don't like that because they don't like when it's private money. They don't like when it's personal money. They don't like when it's a free will donation to help people out. Because there's there's role there for government. These people that that view the wealthy and the successful, whether it's Robert Smith, whether it's President Trump, whether it's anybody else as the enemy, as the enemy, do not understand that the vast majority of people in this country, they, they don't hate rich people. They want to be rich people. They admire rich people. They might sometimes covet the things that rich people have, but people by and large, they don't hate wealthy people. That is something that has to be taught. A child doesn't grow up saying, I'm such a happy little four-year-old, except I hate that rich guy, that Mr. Moneybags. Is no, you have to teach that kind of division. You have to push that. And I think that's at the basis for a lot of these folks who are angry that, that President Trump comes in, busts out the old order, and is successful in his first run at any kind of elected office. He gets elected to the presidency, so of course, it's got to be that he cheated. It's got to be that he stole it. Ugh, unbelievable. All right, our phones are open at 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I'm Brett Witterbull, sitting in for Buck Sexton. It's the Buck Sexton Show, back after this. In some important ways, my generation has failed you in this regard. We spent too much time debating. We've been too focused on the fight and not focused enough on progress. And you don't need to look far to find an example of that failure. Here today, in this very place, in an arena where thousands once found desperate shelter from a hundred-year disaster, the kind that seemed to be happening more and more frequently, I don't think we can talk about who we are as people and what we owe to one another without talking about climate change. That is Tim Cook uh, speaking at the uh, commencement ceremonies at Tulane. Yeah, uh, Tim Cook, I noticed, didn't he didn't pay off anybody's student loans at Tulane. But but nevertheless, I know that was a very special offer by Robert Smith over at Morehouse. But Tim Cook, I, we have failed this generation. We have failed the generation that is supposed to. And it's the climate change. No, 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 no. Listen, I don't believe there's such a thing as generational failure. Because I don't believe in collective punishment. And so for, for Tim Cook to sit there in a super virtue signal by saying, this is the Superdome where people once found shelter from Hurricane Katrina, right? That's what he's saying. 
and where once upon a time there was a blown call in an NFC championship. Oh, never mind. Um, but we failed you as a generation. No, generations can neither breed success or failure for anybody. Sure, we give credit to the World War II generation, the greatest generation, and we should. We ought to uphold them and celebrate them for, for defending us against uh, the darkest tyranny uh, seen since the Dark Ages. We, we absolutely owe them something. They, all they did was sa save civilization as, as we knew it. But a generational failure, I, I'm not buying that. That feels awfully AOC-like. That feels awfully we only have 12 years to live. Awfully, um, you know, what have you. Because there are people who get up and, and work every day and fight for what is right in this country and fight for what is right in the world. And they have nothing but the best of intentions uh, coming, coming from them, okay? And that's important. But because, what, you didn't solve the climate change issue? It's a generational failure? What I would argue is this. Um, there's a generational failure in that there was a generation of people programmed uh, to, to fail. Let, let's be honest about that. I, I don't think the generation is responsible for it. But I do think uh, starting in 1965 with the Great Society, you had an all-out assault by progressive liberal ideas pushed by LBJ um, to, to destroy uh, communities of color in this country by uh, replacing personal responsibility and personal um, uh, self-reliance with the government, with, with handouts and payouts and checking checks and, and that sort of stuff. And that is wrong because dependency has got to be uh, uh, created it has got to be sold and it has got to be repeated time and time again because that's why government's relevant. In the abstract, think about the things government can do. They can take all of your possessions. They can put you in prison. Uh, government can, can seize your property. Uh, government can, can take your freedom from you. But can government make you free? No. Can government make you wealthy? Well, unless you're a Clinton or a Biden, probably not. Government can't do those things. Government hasn't ever invented uh, a, a brand new amazing technology. I know DARPA and the internet, that's fine. But for years, that wasn't anything productive or profitable until the private sector got involved with that. While it was just a university and, 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 and military uh, uh, experiment, it was interesting, it was kind of cool, but there was no monetization there. There was no economic growth coming from that. Government can do nothing but destroy value and destroy your freedom. You know, we, we think back to, to the prior administration, and you think back to President Obama and Vice President Biden, and the idea that they may have wiretapped a, a presidential candidate in President Trump, that they may have surveilled and used spies, that's really bad. But it was consistently carried out across the eight years of that administration that we saw abuses when it came to freedoms and liberties. You want examples? Fast and Furious, trying to uh, paint with a broad brush and condemn the, the millions of legal gun owners behaving responsibly in our country in the hopes of having a predicate to go out and, and hem in your Second Amendment rights. So what do they do? They set up a scheme by which drug cartels and their trigger men can come across the border into border cities and purchase massive amounts of firearms to then take back into Mexico, resulting in maybe 
2,500, 3,000 AK-47s going onto the streets of Mexico, and as many as 3,000 people losing their lives. That's the same number, plus or minus, that you had on 9-11. Eric Holder was never accountable for that. Hillary Clinton, who was Secretary of State, and Janet Napolitano, the head of DHS, never held accountable for that. When you tried to have an investigation into the actual transshipment of firearms into Mexico in the hands of drug cartels, effectively making the Obama administration on par with, uh, with Pakistan for smuggling weapons into the Taliban's hands there in the theater in Afghanistan, when you have that investigation, you get, you get shut down. You get stonewalled. You have the death of an American Border Patrol agent, Brian Terry, at the hands of those trigger men with those firearms on American soil, nobody's held to account. Nobody's held to account. When you have the Tea Party uh, investigations by the IRS, and, and you see what happens there when you speak up, speak out because of something you believe in, in terms of not wanting to spend money, in terms of not wanting to do the porculus and the stimulus and the bailouts, in terms of not wanting to do Obamacare, you become public enemy numero uno. Is that not scandalous? It is so scandalous, in fact, and so devastating, in fact, that to this day, Lois Lerner and Holly Paz, the two senior people in the IRS that were responsible for reducing your right to free speech at the hands of the tax authority, have to this day begged a federal judge to keep their testimony secret for fear of angering people who would find out the truth about what was done with that government power. That's abuse. That's abuse. And that was the great hope of the Obama administration, right? Coming in, changing everything up, moving it all. No, no. So, so when you have government being sold to you like it's a, a happy puppy just running around the room and kissing you and barking at you and all that, you got to think of that puppy as that giant snarling dog, that giant nuclear snarling uh, dog from Chernobyl that can kill you in one bite. That's the lovable little puppy that grows up. From government as a tiny institution to this big overreaching institution where you can actually have the Internal Revenue Service not any longer so interested in internal revenue, but in operating like an internal security force. An interior ministry. Remember the clip, the soundbite from 2008? When, when President Obama, then candidate Obama, a senator, from Illinois was talking about the need for a domestic security force on par with the United States military. This is, this is what happens. So when Tim Cook comes out and says, oh, I'm so very sorry that we failed you on climate change. No, 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 no. You should be more upset about the failure to control spending, the failure to rein in dependency. Uh, no, not to rein in independence, to rein in comma, dependency comma. That's what you should, be, you should be sorry about. Because at the, at the end of this discussion, every person needs to ask whether or not they are doing better for government being involved or doing worse for government being involved. That's the only question that has to be answered. That's the only reality that has to be addressed. Does this government program aid or does this government program harm your efforts to be productive? Now, you're going to be told 
by any number of people that the reason why young people can't succeed is all the student loan debt. The reason why young people can't succeed is because of this cause or that cause. The reality is you have a right as a human being to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what you do with those rights and responsibilities is your business. And if you choose to squander them, that's on you. We're not going to come and save you from yourself. And you can't expect that. So when Tim Cook says there's a generational failure here, no, no, no. I don't think his generation failed anybody. I think the encroachment of government hampered the development of a lot of people. Because at the end of the day, the smallest minority in the world and that group of people who have nobody lobbying for them is the individual. There is no group. The National Association of Individuals, the United Foundation for Individuals. You got libertarian politics, but nobody advocates for the person, for the individual. And we got to reorient the way we think about things. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 to have your say. I'm Brett Witterbull, in for Buck Sexton. We'll take a break. We'll be back right after this. Ah, yes, it is the Buck Sexton Show. Brett Witterbull sitting in for Buck Sexton uh, from behind the blue curtain here in San Diego, California. They call it America's finest city. And uh, it is for the most part. I mean, it's beautiful. You get, uh, you get all four seasons in one day. I woke up today. It was 45 degrees and raining. And now it's like 83 and sunny. It's just it's one of those weird phenomenon uh, that are that are happening here uh, every now and then. Another phenomenon, though, it draws to a close. And full disclosure here, other than hearing people talk about it, I have no connection with Game of Thrones. I'm not one of these people. I don't make fun of people for liking Game of Thrones. People like what they like. You like certain shows. Some some people, I love Cobra Kai. I like the relaunch of The Karate Kid. I like uh, Bosch and uh, uh, Jack Ryan. I, I watch a lot of different shows. I've just never been like a, a sci-fi fantasy guy. A again, I, I, don't, I don't fault anybody for that. It's great. You have your passions. And Lord knows, in a world as nuts as we are in, today it's good to have distractions it's good to watch something else so here uh, at the end of the what was this the eighth season of game of thrones the whole series finale uh folks have been nothing but bummed out for the last six weeks upset with the way this thing goes well i guess over the course of time people have started watching the show from scratch who had never watched it in the past and today on The View, I have to take you to The View because otherwise you probably didn't watch it. Uh, here is uh, a little back and forth, Megan McCain and, and Sonny Austin and Whoopi Goldberg. They're on The View and uh, Megan makes a boo-boo on that show. Uh, roll that tape. Proudly, we're at the end of a giant era of pop culture. It came to close last night with the series finale of Game of Thrones. <laughs> and this morning, there are actually counselors you can reach out to. If you're having a hard time with it. I, I spent eight years of my life watching this, and it was a horrible ending. Horrible. Bran is the worst. Sorry, that's a spoiler. But, like, he didn't do anything, and now he gets to rule. It should have been the mother of dragons. Oh, Megan. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, only on season four. I'm sorry, but it's all over the internet. Uh, I mean, that's just that's a that's a rough deal. I remember what a few weeks back when Avengers came out, there were people who were going to the theaters 
um, standing outside the lines when they would come out from the from the seeing of the movie, and they would they would yell out what the ending was just to wreck it for people lined up. That's a good way to get yourself uh, in a world of hurt for sure. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This just goes to show you what compelling content can do uh, for, for anybody out there who wants to take a trip out of reality. And, you know, everywhere else you look right now is, is highly politicized. Uh, as, as one smart person that I know who watched Game of Thrones observed, and, I, and I'm going to go with their observation. I, I like their observation, even though uh, I don't totally connect with the show. But they said essentially that it was, uh, it was, the ending was consistent with the spirit of what has inspired the, uh, the show all along, the idea that the best, wisest ruler is the one who has a deep sense of history. Uh, sure, that sounds good to me. Although that also could be an argument in favor of the swamp, couldn't it? Institutionalized history. The one who most respects the institutions should be trusted with presidency. Mm, wait a minute, hold on. I may have just... Uh, Sprung a trap on myself here. I may have just uh, sideways endorsed Joe Biden. After all, he's been institutionalized since what, like 1971, 72, when it comes to being a senator? I think he got elected to the Senate before he was even legally able to serve. Who would he be? I don't even, you know what? You couldn't even call me and tell me which Game of Thrones uh, a king or dragon or whatever he was because I, I, I would just acknowledge and, and, and would not along with you. But we're going to get into this whole Biden conversation in just a just a, a couple of minutes because Joe Biden's out there on the campaign trail, and I will be darned if if I can figure out what it is that what's he running on, like what is the plan? And, and I get it. I talk to super smart people from inside the Beltway all the time over on the Newsmax TV show, my local show in San Diego. I, I get it. I talk to smart people all the time, and they say things like, well, he's running a general election campaign. Well, that's fine. You can run a general election campaign, but what are you running on? What are you going to do when you get elected? I, Mayor Pete, the flavor of the month. Mayor Pete's been out there uh, talking about some specifics. He wants a wealth tax. He wants to jack up your income tax. He wants social justice. He wants all that kind of stuff. What is what does Biden want? To me, it feels like if you were disappointed at the outcome of Game of Thrones, you may end up being disappointed if Joe Biden gets the nomination and you're a Democrat. So so I, I want to make it clear here. This I'm an equal opportunity offender. I like talking to conservatives. I like talking to liberals. And if you're out there uh, listening and you want to weigh in on, on the presidential sweepstakes, we're going to get into that in the next uh, the segment of the program, talking about uh, Joe Biden, talking about Mayor Pete and all their big plans. But I, I would love to know what it is that Biden's going to run on. It's very hard to run on. I'm not him. I'm not him doesn't work for the long term. It doesn't motivate people to the polls, especially when they feel like they've got some money in their pocket. They're able to take a vacation. Go try to park at a shopping mall. Go, go and try to, try to get into a car dealership. They're all packed. People are spending money. Why? Because they're confident. For the first year and a half, two years, I think of the Trump administration, they were worried that rug was going to get pulled out from underneath them. Now, you've seen probably, what, four or five corrections in the stock market just in the last little bit? People are not panicking. They're not running for the exits. You know, the market will go down 600 points on Chinese tariffs. Boom, it'll be back. Down 60 at the end of the day. It's a buying opportunity. People are feeling confident. And for Joe Biden to stand there on the steps at the Museum of Fine Arts in Philly and say he's the next new guy, I don't know. Stick around, don't go anywhere. We're just I am Brett Witterbull in for Buck Sexton. Happy to be spending this time with you over the course of the next 60 minutes. We'll take you around the world, bring you back home again. All the big information that's out there happening. I, I know that there is a uh, 
There's a, a rally for President Trump in Montoursville, Pennsylvania, uh, happening. Pennsylvania's been a hot battleground, uh, obviously, for uh, for the last number of elections, but it's almost always gone to the Democrats. That changed this last election in 2016, uh, when President Trump was able to uh, to prevail, albeit by a, a slim margin. Well, now he has a favorite son of Pennsylvania who's uh, going to be taking him on. And that is uh, Vice President Biden, who is out there busily seeking the nomination. The nomination, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in for the presidency of the United States. And well, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it works. We'll see what happens. We'll see how he does. But this much is true. If Joe Biden is going to run to be president, Joe Biden desperately needs to decide uh, what it is he intends to do as president of the United States. What's he going to do? What's the big plan, Vice President Biden? Like, what are you what are you going? You can't just come in and say, I'm not going to be that person. You know, you, you just watched you, you, you've watched a, a lot of professional sports just in the last uh, a few months. You've no doubt you saw the NFL draft. You've seen stuff like that. Those players come in and they want to be difference makers. They want to be change makers. These are, are not people who are going to come in and say, well, I'm going to do better than that guy. I'm going to do the, I'm going to do this. And so, but you've got to be specific. What's your strength? What are you selling to the American people? What are you selling? Well, he says he's bringing civility. He says he is, this is Vice President Biden, he's bringing civility, he's bringing strength, he's bringing resolve, he's bringing all that stuff, all that stuff. And, and, and you know, it, what's, what's, what's amazing about this is there's a track record at stake right now. There is a track record at play. And the track record is the last couple of years, huge growth, stocks are on fire, People are feeling better. Um, and that didn't happen because of the Obama economy. I mean, I know that's a hot thing to, to sell. Well, it was only by you cutting taxes and cutting regulation and trying to gut Obamacare that you were able to fully realize the American economy, Mr. President Trump. Well, yeah, that means doing everything that the Obama team didn't do. That's what led to the economic growth that we have seen unfold before our eyes but here's the problem joe biden is a known quantity and he's been on the scene for a very long time he is a person who who has been out there involved in the public discourse for 47 years 46 years something like that consider this he was there when nixon was president he was there when clinton was president and he is there now out on the public scene with President Trump. We've only had four shots at impeachment in history. Johnson in the 1800s, Clinton and, and, uh, and, and uh, Nixon. And now they want to try to impeach President Trump. Joe Biden will have been present for three out of the four attempts to impeach, uh, efforts to impeach, efforts to remove a, a president from office. And he's not selling you any. He's not offering you anything. He's just saying, I'm for unity. Wow. Show me the guy who's against unity. And what do you mean by unity? Mayor Pete Buttigieg went on Fox News yesterday from New Hampshire and was, uh, was greeted at a town hall by Chris Wallace. He's asked a number of questions. He came out, he gave the standard answers on abortion. You know, only a woman can make that decision. Uh, as a man, I'm not going to make that decision. Only a woman can make that decision between her and her doctor. More on that in a moment. But you, you had, 
you had Pete Buttigieg come out and really lay out a vision for what he thinks the Democratic Party is and what he thinks that party needs to do for this country. This is Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana, who who has just burst onto the scene and is he's, he's this generation's Beto. Here's Pete Buttigieg with his vision of what he thinks the Democratic Party is. Go. As you said, it's a point of pride for the Democratic Party that we care about diversity, that we want to make sure that that our leadership reflects the country that we serve. I've sought to do that in my administration as mayor. I'm doing that with the campaign team that I'm surrounding myself with. But as you said in your question, it's also not just a question of the makeup of your team. It's what your policies are going to be. And we need to make sure that this is an inclusive set of policies that's going to serve everybody well. For example, We know just by the numbers that if you're a person of color in this country, in many ways you might as well be living in a different country. Uh, You look at the rate at which black women are likely to die from maternal complications. It's about three times what it is for white women. That didn't just happen. And it's not going to get fixed without policies that specifically pay attention to how those racial inequities got there. So you have a guy who's going to deal with the racial inequities and the the, the problems that we're facing in this country. That's the Democratic Party is now, according to this guy, uh, the, the grievance party. He's not the first person to do that. The Democratic Party has been the grievance party for a long time. But he tries to tell you, well, we're the party of misfits and, and outcasts and outliers. And uh, we, we are we are left behind and all that sort of stuff. And then he gets into the mortality rate of black women. Which is interesting because I didn't know that was like a political thing. I mean, I know that there are political causes and effects of policies, but I didn't know that Republicans were running around causing high mortality rates among black women, among African-American women who are delivering babies or African-American women more broadly. Uh, I, I would I would guess that the hospitals where those women are being treated might might be a factor. Uh, the fact that many of those hospitals might be in blue cities uh, many of those hospitals might be public facilities in blue cities, might be misadministrated, maladministrated in those. Well, that now, Brett, don't don't go don't go splitting hairs now. But that's Pete Buttigieg. He's got a vision. I don't agree with it. He comes out and says oh, only a woman should decide uh, what to do when it comes to abortion. Well, that may be the case. But, but then by the same token, can we make the argument with a straight face? And I think we can as gun owners that really the Second Amendment is between gun owners and the Constitution. It's between gun owners and, and our God, right? That's, that's sort of the same metric. If only women can talk about abortion, then only gun owners should be allowed to talk about the keeping and bearing. Don't want to get pregnant? Don't have sex. If you don't want to have a baby, have an abortion, right? That's the messaging. If you don't want to own a gun, nobody makes you hold a gun. Nobody puts a gun to your head and says, buy a gun. Although if that, God forbid, did happen, you may be motivated to buy a gun. But my point is, we can, we can dissect and bisect all of these points in this way. We can make the argument, well, you know, that only people who have served in wartime should have an opinion on war. Only people who are actually practicing a faith uh, should, should be allowed to, to comment on whether or not there, there is a separation of church and state. What, what are we... What are, I'm puzzled by all. I'm puzzled by this sort of differentiation. Look, we are all stakeholders in our constitutional republic. We are all people who need to uh, take part in the debate. Now, Kay Ivey is the governor of Alabama. In just a couple of moments, I'm going to let you hear from, from Kay Ivey, who's going to talk about the massive pushback they're now getting in Alabama as a result of 
the, the, the abortion law that was passed out. Um, Kay Ivey is catching a lot of grief as the, as the governor of the state of Alabama. And what does Kay Ivey have that Mayor Pete Buttigieg does not have? Anybody guess? Anybody know? Anybody know? She's a woman. She's a woman who may have had, or at least had the capacity to, actually give birth to a child. So in, in Pete Buttigieg's metric, Kay Ivey, even though she is pro-life, ought to be... Oh, no, 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 because she's pro-life, so she can't be... She can't be permitted to have an opinion on, on, on pregnancy and abortion, because that's... Well, she's, she's on the wrong side, but wait, Mayor Buttigieg, you said that you just... If you're a woman, then it's between you and your doc. Now you're saying, so you're saying only pro-choice women. Huh. No, wait a minute. Then, then why would the Democrats be supporting a Andrew Cuomo, who's a man? But he's in favor of infanticide, but he's a man. And, and the governor Northam of Virginia, but that's, he's a man. He should, he's a, see, if you're on the right side of it, you can do anything you want. If you're on the wrong side of it, they're going to shut you down. They're going to shout you down. How do you feel about the terms of this debate and the way it's been set out by, by folks like um, Pete Buttigieg or by folks like Biden? 844-900-BUCK is the phone number to be a part of the conversation. 844-900-2825. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show right here. I'm Brett Witterbull. Back after this. I'm Brett Witterbull. I'm in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. 844-900-BUCK is the phone number. 844-900-2825. Glad to be spending this time with you. Uh, the governor of the state of Alabama is Kay Ivey. Uh, Kay Ivey has come out in the last uh, couple of hours and, and talked about some of the challenges the folks are facing here in or there in the state of Alabama. Uh, she, she came out and she said, look, I understand that there are boycotts that are being planned against the state of Alabama, because that's what, that's what progressive liberals do, right? If you disagree with what they're doing, with what a group is doing, you have to destroy them economically. That is the standard by which they measure success. Here is the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, a person elected, by the way, by the people of Alabama, and a person who was avowedly pro-life and who signed this abortion legislation last week. This is Kay Ivey responding to the boycotts uh, being pointed at the state of Alabama. Go. Alabama has a lot of different variety of types of things to visit and enjoy, and our visitors are going to continue to come. Okay, and so that you've got different states coming out and saying they're not going to allow their their companies to go uh, to that state, or they're not going to allow their their employees to do business in the state of Alabama. I'm waiting. It's only a matter of time. You know the NCAA is going to be pressured to prevent the state, the University of Alabama from playing in a bowl game or from playing at it. You know, it, it, you just know what's coming, right? You know what's coming because if you step away from the orthodoxy of what you're supposed to believe in, you will be punished and punished severely. That's the narrative that always plays out. But Kay Ivey points something else out that's very important. She points out the fact that, look, I signed this bill. It was passed out by the legislature. This is the expression of the will of the people, such as it is in the state of Alabama. Uh, roll that piece. The legislature has spoken and um, underscores the sanctity of life that the people of Alabama value so highly. So this is where we now are. Now, in response to the 
boycott of the state of Alabama. There are going to be people who engage in boycotts who say, you know what, I'm going to take my business to the state of Alabama because I happen to support her affirmation and that bill's affirmation when it comes to life. That's the way the market can operate. You could have people laying pressure. You have people laying pressure the other way. But the fact of the matter is, this has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with um, based on the position you're in. And as far as I'm concerned with Kay Ivey, I, I don't know what else she could have done. She could veto that bill, but would that be undermining the intent of the people in the state of Alabama? I would submit that it would. Their elected leaders pushed for this. And it's not like this is uh, uh, something that is absolutely set in stone. Remember, when you hear people like Kirsten Gillibrand and, and, and progressives like Kamala Harris come out and talk about pres- precedent is sacrosanct. Once upon a time, Dred Scott was precedent. And that law found that a fugitive slave, a runaway slave, must be returned to their master. It, it feels positively uh, barbaric by today's standards, and it should. Once upon a time, separate but equal was a precedent. Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896. Plessy versus Ferguson said you could have separate but equal. That would be overturned by Brown versus Board of Education. Now, where were these people? Where were these Democrats who once upon a time were embracing Dred Scott, who once upon a time were embracing Plessy versus Ferguson? Because the Jim Crow laws were not a creation of the abolitionist Republican movement. No way, no how. They were a creation of, of the Democratic Party in the same way that you had up until the uh, 1840s and 50s. The support stated explicitly in the planks of the Democratic Party platform that slavery should be uh, respected as a state's right. That I'm not, I'm not throwing any kind of fake, phony propaganda your way. You can go and read. You actually can go on the Google machine when you get a chance. Go pull up the platforms, the Democrat Party platforms, starting in 1828, and you'll see it in 28, in 32, in 36. You'll see it in 40, and 44, and and uh, uh, and 48. You'll see it's enshrined there in the. Uh, in the in the Democratic Party uh, platform that they support slavery. It's just, that's a fact. Now, that's a barbaric institution that we would never stand by today. It's because of the hard work done by the abolitionist movement, by the men uh, and, and women in their supporting roles in helping to free the slaves and in changing that narrative in our country that we no longer have slave states. We are all free states representing and respecting the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or as originally written, the pursuit of property. Now, people can try to sell it however they want, but they're not allowed and they're not entitled to their own uh, history. History is something set in stone. And isn't it curious that that same mayor, Pete Buttigieg, that I mentioned in the opening segment of this hour, uh, as talking about the, the need to protect and preserve abortion, the need to, to protect and, and preserve uh, marginalized groups who are inside the Democratic Party. Isn't it curious that, that Pete Buttigieg and company um, will say that only women uh, have a right to make a decision on abortion? Only somebody with a uterus has a right to make a decision on abortion. A- and yet the same progressive group will say that a person without a uterus can compete as a woman in intercollegiate sports or at athletics or at the high school level in track and field. 
they they're a little bit here and there on the on the policy uh, affectation. But it is curious to see how this is going to shake out. Now, coming up here in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by my very good friend. He's Scott McEwen. You know him from uh, his great work with American Sniper. He wrote American Sniper, uh, the story of Chris Kyle. He also uh, wrote American Commander and the Ghost Sniper series, Camp Valor, and, of course, City of Death. And I want to get his perspective because he, in addition to being a great writer, is an attorney. And I want to get his interpretation and his thoughts uh, as as they are uh, being formed, watching this battle between the deep state and Bill Barr, watching this battle between the congressional Democrats in the House Judiciary Committee and, of course, uh, what it is that they are after with Don McGahn coming in to testify and Mueller coming in to testify and other uh, Trump administration folks coming in to testify to these committees in the hopes of redrawing and rebuilding the case that they hoped would manifest itself with the Mueller report. It didn't. It hasn't. They're frustrated. They're bummed out. They are worried about what it's going to take to finally turn the tide. I don't think they can do it, but they're going to try to finally turn the tide in favor of impeachment, removing this president and just short circuiting the uh, electoral process coming down the pipeline in 2020. There's a reason first term presidents don't get impeached. It's because first term presidents stand for reelection. That's your chance to pass and to cast a political verdict on the commander in chief. The Democrats are not happy to do it. They've got to undo 2016. They've got to undo it all. And if they don't, it's your fault. Scott McEwen comes by next. Don't go anywhere. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Buck Sexton. Back right after this. Brett Witterbull in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. Our phone number is always 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. Uh, happy to welcome into the show a good friend of mine. And I always love uh, getting the opportunity to catch up with him. He is Scott McEwen. You know him from his great work on American Sniper, American Commander, Ghost Sniper series, of course, Camp Valor, and uh, his most recent, which is phenomenal, City of Death, talking about how these uh, these heroes around the world banded together to help uh, rescue those folks who were held hostage by ISIS in Mosul and in other communities. Uh, Scott McEwen, though, is also an accomplished attorney in his own right, and that's why I want to depend on him uh, today to talk about uh, what it is that's going on here. These Democrats Democrats desperate for McGahn to come and testify. If he doesn't testify, it's impeachable. Everything's impeachable, Scott McEwen. What are these folks looking for? It's interesting because Bill Barr is not acting like Donald Trump's attorney. He's acting like the presidency's attorney, and he's drawn a firm line in the sand. Your assessment of this battle royale. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, first of all, Brett. Um, Yes, I mean, at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is shoot the messengers. I mean, really, they, they do not want the message or the indictments that are going to follow to come out from Barr and various other people that know exactly what happened here. And we're seeing the fallout from that. These people realize that now that the, uh, that the attempt to uh, depose or have a coup against the president of the United States was unsuccessful, now those acts that they did in illegally attempting to do so are coming back to, to haunt them. And I believe, Brett, at the end of the day, we're going to see multiple indictments at cabinet, you know, at, at the top levels of the mm -hmm. FBI, of the DOJ, and likely at the CIA before this thing is done. You know, it's amazing, right? Because you've got, you've got, uh, 
you've got James Comey pointing fingers at Brennan. Brennan's pointing fingers at Clapper. Clapper's pointing fingers at, you know, somebody else. Th- these are not folks that are going to stand firm and tall uh, uh, in the defense of what it is that they did, uh, Scott. So at some point, do you expect we're going to start seeing some of these guys flip and, and, and come out uh, in a different position from where they went in uh, to save their own hides? I certainly do, and I believe we're going to see it, you know, not only from the Clapper level and the and the Comey level, but, you know, we've got a lot of lesser players that are looking down the barrel of 20-year jail terms if they're convicted of some of these acts that they've done, such as Strozik and Page and some other, some other people like that, you know, that were involved. And I'm telling you, those people, when they are put on the stand or when they're forced to, to, to make deals, I don't think there's going to be any loyalty amongst any of this group. And uh, I believe that they're going to make deals, you know, to to keep themselves out of prison as much as possible, particularly somebody like Brennan, Mm -hmm. who Brennan has already said that he did not authorize the use of this steel dossier that Comey used at least three times that we know of to seek and obtain, you know, illegal FISA warrants against various and sundry members of the Trump uh, administration. So I really believe that uh, they're all going to make deals if they can as soon as possible and those deals are probably already on the table okay and against the backdrop of that you've got uh you've got an inspector general doing his investigation in in the uh in the department of justice uh um, uh, mike horowitz and you've got durham uh, out of connecticut former u.s attorney uh who's apparently been on this job since at least valentine's day what about that those those contemporaneous investigations happening at the same time as the political battle going on here um what do you expect those uh, components to yield boy i'll tell you what when when you look at the when you look at what's been going on for so long with this inspector general investigation you've got to wonder how deep that thing is because that's been going on now for at least six months that we know of and probably right. for longer and uh, he still hasn't come out with his report I have to imagine that report is going to be very, very in-depth and probably is going to cover all of the acts that we've seen kind of surfacing up from the swamp in the press. But I believe that what what he's done is probably going to be a complete, if you will, report on everything that's been done. And I think that's probably going to be the the, uh, puzzle pieces, if you will, for all the indictments that we're going to see come thereafter. And, you know, and this new guy that they brought in, you know, this Durham guy, He's shown his ability to and willingness to prosecute at the highest levels of the FBI with what went on in Boston. And if you're going to get the toughest guy you can on the street that has street knowledge of what's going on, right? that is the guy to get. Okay, against this, you've also got Bill Barr, who is holding that line firmly. He is not a wilting uh, uh, flower by any stretch of the imagination. Scott McEwen joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Um, what about that role that Barr is playing? He is a guy that I think was wildly underestimated, and he has turned out to be a rock star in a lot of the ways he's been behaving and, and standing firm in the face of the pressure from these partisans on the Judiciary Committee and the Intel Committee. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the most entertaining things I saw was if a guy was really upset or really intimidated, if you will, which they're trying to do, they're just trying to intimidate him and make him back down, you wouldn't say, see the comment that he made at that, uh, at that event with uh, Nancy Pelosi when he's walking by when he said, uh, did you bring your handcuffs to this event? You know, <laughs> when I saw that, I thought to myself, you know, that guy's got some some moxie, if you will, in, sure. in making that comment, because it just was basically a, a, a statement back to Pelosi. Look, I'm not impressed. I'm doing my job. 
And you know what? And, and you, you can make all these threats of, con, you know, of contempt or whatever else you want to do, but it's not going to sway me from my job. I think Bill Barr is the best thing, the best person that Trump could have chosen to be there because he's been in that town for 30 years. He's seen everything from Nixon, you know, all the way through the Obama administration and everything else. So he's seen it all. And I don't think he's going to be intimidated for one second by any of these people from Congress or the Nadlers or the rest of these people trying to throw junk in his direction. And remember, we don't know who he has relationships with to this day inside the Department of Justice who may be giving him the straight stuff instead of the obfuscation and the game playing that went on under McCabe and Comey in the, uh, in the FBI. Exactly. And the guy's respected. I mean, you know, there's, there, there's, a, there's a thing in the world called respect. And that guy has had respect in that town for a long time. And, you know, that respect is not going to end, nor is he going to compromise his reputation merely because he's been appointed to this position. I think whatever he does is not only going to stick, these indictments are going to be absolutely rock solid. And I don't think he's going to do it for political purposes, which is what everybody's saying. I think he's going to do it to protect the United States. At the end of the day, we had an attempted coup d'etat on the highest office of the United States. It was unsuccessful, thank God. And now the people that did it are going to have to pay. And that's exactly why Bill Barr is in office. All right. Let me ask you uh, for, for a final reaction here on that very point. Um, it, it wasn't spying. They didn't insert spies. It was merely surveillance, uh, Scott McHugh. And it's just surveillance. They're just surveilling. They're just looking around. They had to chase down the smoke and the fire. That's all they were doing. They're just doing their jobs. Your reaction to that nonsense? My reaction to that is if you put the shoe on the other foot, because that's a political statement. If you put the shoe on the other foot and say, for example, if Trump right now was sending the FBI to spy on Joe Biden's campaign or was sending yes. the FBI to, 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 you know, to, to spy on any one of 20 other candidates that are coming out of the Democrats, how would the Democratic Party feel about that? I think we as a nation have to look at this. No R, no D, no I, no other number or designation behind you. But the bottom line is, what would you like us to do as a democracy? And I do not believe what we saw done by this last administration to the then running candidate and now the president is the right thing to do. We need to make policy for the next 50 years for your and my children and for everybody else in this country. And that's exactly what we've got to clean up right now. We got to be Americans. We don't have to be Republicans or Democrats. We got to be Americans, and we need we need to work hard to uh, to provide for our family and our loved ones. Always great to catch up with you. Uh, he is Scott McEwen. You know him from his amazing books, and I want to encourage folks to check out scottmcewen.com, scottmcewen.com for all the latest and greatest stuff that he's uh, uh, got in the pipeline. We appreciate you making time for us. I know how busy you are, and uh, we, we we certainly thank you for stopping by today, Scott. Thanks a lot, Brett. You keep bringing the word. Talk to you Will later. Do. Uh, Brett Witterbull in for Buck Sexton, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, that translates to 844-900-2825. Let's go out on the phones and talk to Charles in Boston. Charles, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Yes, uh, I've got a couple of things of uh, concern here. Uh, first of all, let me state where I'm coming from. I uh, do support uh, the president, the good things that he's tried to do and so forth. But uh, I uh, refer you to an article in the Washington Times uh, March 18th, 2019, mm -hmm. on page 25, and uh, the author of the article, uh, Joseph Curl, uh, who uh, covered the White House for the Washington Times for some 10 years, I believe, he said uh, the, the title of the article said, Why Uncle Joe Biden Will Be America's Next President. He feels quite certain that that's going to happen. And the second thing that I find uh, disturbing is Justin, uh, Justin Abash, a uh, Republican from uh, uh, Michigan. Michigan. 
Right. Yeah. From Michigan has decided to join the ranks for calling of impeachment. I mean, in this, I don't know. I mean, what's uh, what's going to happen if he's thrown out of office? I mean, something like that. I mean, sometimes I, 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 I feel angry enough if they do something like that. Then maybe we deserve a, uh, maybe we deserve a, a, an international uh, situation. Uh, yeah. To, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I, get, I get what you're saying. But, but here, here's what's important to remember, Charles, okay? There's two, two pieces here. Whether or not Joe Biden gets elected is secondary to this issue of impeachment. The reason why the president is not being impeached is because the Democrats understand that there is nowhere near a majority needed to, to remove him from office in the United States Senate. You'd have to have 66 votes to remove, uh, convict, uh, to remove him from office. That is an incredibly high bar. It would take a lot of Republicans coming on to the bandwagon with Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Tom Steyer, and the whole lot of them, okay? So the, the, the reason why Nancy Pelosi is so reticent to bring about the call to impeachment, to bring it to fruition, is because she knows she doesn't have the numbers. And we've seen these people go out there and acknowledge they don't have the numbers. Uh, I think it was Nadler just a couple of weeks back said, we don't have those numbers. Nowhere near that number yet. That's that's the problem. That's why they're doing these pretend hearings, these pretend impeachment moves to try to figure out a way to throw them out, uh, to create enough moral outrage. Justin Amash is now going to get primaried in his run there at the at the House of Representatives when he's up for reelection next time around. There's conservatives that are coming out saying you're an opportunist. There's no basis for this. There was no collusion. And anything in terms of, uh, of obstruction of justice is a construct of the Mueller narrative. I would not worry uh, about any impact from Amash. I don't think there's a big break of people coming out looking to remove the president inside the Republican Party in the House. Most of those gutless wonders uh, retired or were defeated uh, back in in, in the uh, midterms in 2018. The people that remain, other than this Amash character, tend to be much more conservative uh, as as a rule of thumb. Now, as to the Biden component, look, elections are going to hinge on what elections are going to hinge on. Joe Biden is a known quantity. He has run, uh, what, three different times, and he's been unsuccessful in each of his runs. He hasn't been able to pull it off. Uh, two different times, right? Because he, he ran in 88. He tried to run again in uh, in 19, um, in uh, in 2008. He's come up short. Repeatedly, he's come up short. He has a lot of skeletons in his closet. Uh, if I were a betting man now, I'm not because I have a wife and kids and I can't afford to gamble. But if I were a betting man right now and you, you had to pin me down on the ground and say, okay, Brett, who's going to be the Democratic nominee for the presidency of the United States? It's going to be Kamala Harris. As far as I'm concerned, it's going to be Kamala Harris. They front loaded the California primary into Super Tuesday. If she's able to to float along in New Hampshire and Iowa, if she's able to put together a reasonable showing in South Carolina, she gets to California. That's a lot of delegates that go a long way to backing her up. Uh, I think she is somebody that could be a threat. She's somebody that the president has not thrown a whole lot of heat on. He hasn't nicknamed her. He hasn't done any of that. Buttigieg is polling terribly. When you look at the numbers out of South Carolina, he's got no support among people of color. He is being supported only by colorless people. I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. But it's a, it's a joke I often use here on the show because I'm not a person of color. I guess I am colorless. Buttigieg, he doesn't have the, the critical mass behind him. Bernie Sanders 
is an old creaky guy whose best days are behind him. Elizabeth Warren is not anybody who resonates with anybody else out there. I think I think uh, Kamala Harris is going to be the person that this party ultimately looks to. It, it fulfills a lot of boxes that then get checked. And I just I just don't see Biden being the guy with the golden ticket at the dance. I just don't. I don't think he has the uh, deliverables. He's got too many skeletons in that closet. You got a lot of people still upset about Anita Hill. You got a lot of people still upset about the crime bill that he supported. You got a lot of people that are still angry uh, about his uh, uh, being friends with some of those old, unreconstructed Southern Democrats. Heck, he just spoke at Ernest Hollings' funeral a month and a half ago in Charleston, South Carolina. Ernest Hollings was the guy in South Carolina who hoisted the stars and bars above the state house when he was the governor joe biden was his bff there's a lot of baggage with this guy we're not i'm not even getting into hunter biden the weird investment stuff that schweitzer's written about i'm not even getting into the stuff involving the ukraine or or involving uh, any of the other uh, uh things that have happened this is this is not a guy who is a 20 uh 19 2020 character this is a man firmly stuck in in the early mid 1970s hoping to hold on in this new climate consider this when joe biden was in the senate in his early days you're talking about the early 1970s he's serving with people who were in the senate in the 1930s and 40s that's how far back this he goes back nearly a century in terms of institutional uh, interaction with people he, he he served with people who served with roosevelt and truman i mean this is an unbelievable thing but he doesn't have the magic with the young people. You get this electability phrase that gets thrown around a whole lot. Oh, he's electable. He's an electable guy. He's a guy who can get elected. Where's he ever been elected president before? Where's he ever been elected president? Before? What is the, the solid track record of Bidenism? What is it? What has he ever sold? Back in the day, he sold, well, you know, I've got a lot of institutional experience in the Senate. That's why Barack Obama picked him up. Barack Obama was 2008's Pete Buttigieg, and he needed somebody to be the adult in the situation. Biden was the adult who understood Capitol Hill. He understood all that. He served a purpose, but his purpose was never to be president himself. You can book it, you can mark it, and I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. It's the, it's, uh, the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Brett Witterbull sitting in for him. Take a break. Be back after the top of the hour. Plenty more and your phone calls. Back after this. And I'm Brett Witterbull sitting in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, you normally would uh, would hear me here in San Diego uh, on my radio show on 760 KFMB. Also, uh, I host a television show on Newsmax TV. That's Mondays through Fridays at uh, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern on Newsmax. And uh, as always, you're more than welcome to be a part of the conversation at 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Spoke with Charles in the last hour about this impeachment stuff. And uh, certainly all the big stories out there are fair game, right? I don't want you feeling like you got to be living it is just the things we've talked about. If you've got a concern, a comment, an issue that you think needs uh, to draw more attention to in the current political climate, certainly happy uh, to hear from you. Let me give you one that I think is fascinating. Yesterday, uh, early in the morning, getting ready to go to church, getting ready to get out with the family, uh, I'm watching uh, Mornings with Maria over on Fox News, and there she's talking to Congressman Trey Gowdy uh, about what it is he saw as part of this investigation 
into uh, uh, Russian meddling, collusion, all that kind of stuff. And, and now the big, obviously, the big gaslighting that has taken place as a result with this intelligence community behaving the way they have. And what was so interesting to me was this indication from Trey Gowdy that it appears, at least from the stuff he has seen, that once upon a time, do you remember right after the election and going into the inauguration of then President Trump, uh, President elect into President Trump, um, there was that 17 intelligence agency assessment that the Russians had meddled in the election. And the implication was they had meddled in the election to the benefit of President Donald J. Trump. Right. Remember, that was that was the narrative. Well, a curious thing happened on the way to the investigation. It appears, according to, to Trey Gowdy, a very serious man, a man who is a serious investigator in his own right, former prosecutor, somebody who worked very hard I into looking into the, the, uh, the, the Russian collusion matter uh, as a part of his uh, last couple of years in the Congress. Um, he, he found out that it appears that it was one John Brennan who was responsible for making sure that that dossier, that steel dossier, constructed and fabricated in every possible way by Christopher Steele with, with, a, with a wink and a nod from Russian FSB and, and anybody else who wanted to throw a little fun stuff in there. Well, it appears that it was John Brennan, the head of the CIA, who shepherded that and demanded that that be included as part of the basis, the underlying facts for the, are you ready for this? The 17 intelligence agency uh, assessment that the Russians had intervened and interfered in our election. Why does that matter? Well, first of all, if you go back and look at the intelligence community itself, the broader intel community, I'm sure Buck's talked about this in the past. Um, when you talk about 17 intelligence agencies, that sounds like a lot of intelligence agencies. Whew, all 17 agreed that this happened? Well, if you look at who the 17 intelligence agencies are, it includes people like the Coast Guard Intelligence Agency, the Navy Intelligence Agency, the Marine Corps Intelligence Agency, and the U.S. Army Intelligence Agency. It also includes the National Geospatial uh, Intelligence All these, these, these leviathons of the intelligence agency, of which really maybe about four maybe five had any true connection to dealing with russians and 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 the uh uh the the meddling in the election i don't know that the coast guard intel agency or the marine corps intel agencies and i know they're very important they do very important work for their for their departments i don't know that they were really on the russia game I, I just don't know that that's the case. I don't know that the DIA was on the Russia game. I don't know that it would, any of those people. I, I do know this. I do know that once upon a time, Admiral Rogers was run out of the, uh, uh, hmm, NSA. Why? Because he had noticed there were some shady moves going on inside the, uh, the, the the wiretapping and the surveilling sort of stuff. So if you look at the 17 intelligence agencies and you think about who the big dogs are, right? You've you've got obviously the FBI's an intelligence agency. You you've got the uh, the the NSA. That's an intelligence agency. You, you've also uh, got a, a couple of others that are right there in the bread and butter business of dealing with Russians. And you can see where that might play a factor. 
but I don't know that the Drug Enforcement Agency was really watching the Russians. They're an intelligence agency, too. I mean, you can go down the list. Just go, 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 go on the Google machine and type in U.S. intelligence agencies and then just look at all 17 of them and go, well, why would they be? And why would they be involved? How would they be? Well, they wouldn't. When you boil it down, it's like five. It's like five. And it's Brennan who wanted to make sure this assessment got in there. Why? Why, why would John Brennan want that to go in there? Because he wanted there to be a cloud over the president. You know, I play a clip on my TV show all the time, on my radio show all the time. And the clip is of uh, Chuck Schumer. You've heard it, no doubt, from January the 4th. 2017 uh, talking about how the intelligence community has six ways from sunday to get even with president trump if if he's not careful when i first heard that i said to myself now hold on a second he hasn't even been inaugurated what is what is senator schumer talking about uh, i mean initially my blood ran cold getting visions of dallas in the early 1960s i'm thinking what is he what is he implying no no, no. what he was implying was the intelligence community has its own way of meeting out justice against people that they don't like. And and I think he revealed more than he ever intended to reveal. He, he revealed, of course, that, well, of course, John Brennan would be part of that intelligence community and he could be part of getting even. And so could Jimmy Clapper. And so could James Comey. And so could so could any of these people. They could all have, have been working together. And you know what struck me at the time that Chuck Schumer said those things? It, it was, well, what did Chuck know about surveillance of the Trump campaign before any of this was made public? What did, what did Chuck Schumer know? Certainly, he's a, he's a senior guy. He was the minority leader in the Senate. You had Mitch McConnell as the majority leader. You had Chuck Schumer as the minority leader. You know, you hear about the Gang of Eight all the time. Not, not the Gang of Eight back when... Marco Rubio was talking about we got to do an immigration amnesty with the Gang of Eight. That was with the eight, eight Congress people and senators who were working to try to push amnesty through back way back once upon a time. The real Gang of Eight are are, are these people. They they would be uh, under the circumstances of 2017. It, it would have been Paul Ryan. It, it would have been uh, Nancy Pelosi. It would have been uh, Adam Schiff, and it would have been. Uh, uh, Devin Nunes. That would be the House side of the equation. The Senate side of the equation would have been Mitch McConnell. It would have been Chuck Schumer. It would have been Mark Warner. And it would have been uh, Richard Burr, right? Because Richard Burr and Mark Warner ran the the, the Senate Intel Committee. Uh, Devin Nunes was the chair and Adam Schiff was the ranking member of the uh, Intel Committee. And you would have had, of course, like I said, uh, Ryan and Pelosi and you would have had McConnell and Schumer. And so I just kind of wondered when, when he went on Rachel Maddow's show there on MSNBC and said, oh, Mr. President, you're being very foolish. The intelligence community has six ways from Sunday to get even with you. My radar went up. And I just wonder how many people uh, have ever asked that question about what did Chuck Schumer know about surveilling the Trump campaign? One of the questions that has not been asked, I hope it does get asked, and if it doesn't get asked uh, in the process of this primary run, I hope it gets asked when, when President Trump squares off with, with Joe Biden if he ends up being the nominee. Uh, again, I don't think he will be, but, but I hope that President Trump does ask Joe Biden, why were you spying on my campaign back in 2016? Sleepy Joe, why, why were you as vice president, why were you guys spying? And, and when Joe Biden 
denies he knew anything about it, he'll be revealed as incompetent, that it was all being done by President Obama and Susan Rice and Samantha Power and and the powers that be with Loretta Lynch and James Comey. It'll look like Joe Biden was the last guy on the deal team and he had no idea what was going on in his own government. If he does answer, he's going to have to answer some pretty uncomfortable questions about why it is that standing across the stage from a commander in chief, he would have been part of a government effort to insert spies, Stefan Halper and and some mysterious woman, and why it was the Central Intelligence Agency, the one agency from prohibited from doing business on American soil, would be running an intel operation with the FBI. Now, why would that happen, Vice President Biden? And he's going to have and he's going to haw and he's going to go, you don't understand, man. This is about unity. We got to rebuild unity, man. That's what he'll do. It's what he always does. I'm Brett Witterbull, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Brett Witterbull sitting in back right after this. It is uh, the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Brett Witterbull sitting in for Buck Sexton, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. Be a part of the conversation. I'm going to pivot over to the border here in just a second. But because I was challenged by somebody on Twitter uh, to name the uh, the intelligence agencies that were part of the Russian assessment. I'm going to do that now. Are you ready? Okay. Three, two, one. The 25th Air Force. That's the Air Force Intelligence Agency. Intelligence and Security Command. That's the U.S. Army Intelligence Agency. The Central Intelligence Agency. That's the CIA. Coast Guard Intelligence. That's the Coast Guard. Defense Intelligence Agency. Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence. Office of Intelligence and Analysis. Bureau of Intelligence and Research. Office of Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. Those are all separate standalone intel agencies. Office of National Security Intelligence. You know who that is? That's the DEA. The intelligence branch. That's the FBI. The Marine Corps Intelligence uh, Activity. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. The National Reconnaissance Office. Those guys, the geospatial and and reconnaissance, they tend to deal with like satellites and and maps and topography and electronic intelligence. Uh, National Security Agency, obviously, very uh, obvious who that is, and Office of Naval Intelligence. So when when you heard these things back in 2017, 17 agencies all agree the Russians influenced the election. Well, yeah, but like five of them are actually in that business. The rest are not. Sorry to have to be a Debbie Downer or a Donnie Downer or a, a, a Brett Bummer. Here's, uh, here's something else I want to talk about that's very important. We are now watching a slow motion become fast motion um, immigration crisis at our southern border. I'm in San Diego. I can pretty much kick a soccer ball from where I'm sitting right now and uh, get pretty close to the border. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. Also happens to be a very significant border community there as well. I understand how borders work and I understand how borders, healthy borders are supposed to work. People go back and forth every day. They conduct commerce. We have billions of dollars in commerce right here in San Diego between us and Tijuana and into Baja, Mexico. Same thing with El Paso, Texas, and any number of checkpoints uh, across the border. But you have had Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. You have had Jim Acosta and every other talking head on TV try to tell you that there's no crisis at the border. There's no crisis at the southern border. This is man-made. This is Donald Trump hysteria. You even had Barack Obama in 2018 at campaign rallies saying, these people are down in the southern part of Mexico. It'll take them about six months to get up here. There's a border crisis. There's a border crisis. There's a huge border crisis. Um, I was speaking to the folks at Federation for American Immigration Reform last week, 
And they informed me that like in the last nine, 10 months, you got 700,000 people coming into the country uh, seeking, quote, asylum. In reality, these are economic refugees looking to get a piece of a strong economy. And when the president reaches out, tries to secure our border, tries to do the right thing to make sure Americans are kept safe, you're told that there's no border crisis. Look, I can assure you, living here in California, as many people in this audience can also uh, attest to, there's a border crisis. And unfortunately, you have a governor in Gavin Newsom, and you had a governor before him in Jerry Brown, who was more than happy to welcome people into this state in an illicit fashion. Let me be clear about something here. Uh, you had as candidate Newsom and then as Governor Newsom, a man who declared, if you want to come and get free health care, if you want to come and get services, you come into California. It is enshrined in the state code SB 54, which is the state sanctuary law that we do not cooperate with the feds, save for some very specific cases. We are a welcoming state. So says Gavin Newsom. We are a state that is committed to allowing everybody who wants to come in, regardless of circumstances or being screened, to come on in. The term I like to use is if you've got turf toe and you're in Tajikistan, come on in and get some medical care. If you've got a, a, a urology infection and you're from Uzbekistan, come on in here. If you're from France and you want a facelift, head on down. Come into California. That's a fact. And I would love to see states' rights activists who advocate for sanctuary laws. I would love to see them come out and make the same states' rights argument in, in favor of what Alabama's done on the abortion law. Oh, the state of California's made a decision. We're going to be a sanctuary state. The state of Alabama's made a decision. They're going to be a sanctuary state for the unborn. Right? I mean, is that, isn't that what we've basically got? No, 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 Brett. You've got it dead wrong. Well, what do you mean I've got it dead wrong? You've got it dead wrong. The sanctuary law in California is about social justice. The sanctuary law for the unborn in Alabama is, is about, well, that's, that's, that's about tyranny. It's about tyranny. I got it. I understand. That's very interesting. I didn't know that that's how it worked out. But yes, that's how it worked out. Understand this if you understand nothing else. Here in the state of California, if you are in the illicit possession of plastic bags, single-use plastic bags, or if you are in the illicit possession of straws, you'll face more serious time than you will if you break into the state. And isn't it curious that we would have this crisis right now, right now, before the 2020 election, right now, before the 2020 census. What, what, what are you getting at, Brett? What, what, are, you, what are you getting at with the, the 2020 census? What kind of a remark is that about the 2020 census? Well, because to, to hear Gavin Newsom tell it here in the state of California, it doesn't matter if you're a citizen, a green card holder, a migrant, an asylee, somebody who has flown in for six months to stay at a VRBO, you can count in the census because you'll help us get seats. See, the dirty secret about California is there's been a massive outmigration for the last 15 years. People fleeing high taxes, uh, horrible uh, regulation, social, uh, uh, social problems like heroin addiction and people urinating and defecating in the streets of San Francisco and in Los Angeles and even right here in San Diego. This has been a crisis writ large. 
But when Gavin Newsom is concerned is we don't need to replace the outflow of Americans moving out of the state. We just need to replace them with anybody. No, no, we don't have to get anybody to come in. We just need anybody, meaning anybody will do. Whether or not you're a citizen, a green card holder, whether or not you're a, you're a, a migrant seeking economic opportunity, an illegal immigrant, or even an asylee, come on into the state of California. The doors are wide open because you're going to get the hookup. And now, now you're starting to see the resettlement, Department of Homeland Security, flying migrants from Texas at a cost of $6,000 a flight right here to the city of San Diego, right to the city of San Diego, where they'll be dumped off on a street corner and people will just kind of hope for the best. That, that's really what's going on here. It, it's an amazing thing to see. And, and folks want to focus on it. People focus on uh, whether or not there's a humanitarian crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a humanitarian crisis. It's just what needs to be done about it is the great disagreement. And really, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And what you're seeing take place with the cooperation of the Democrats out there, uh, the fact that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer look the other way and every other Democrat with them does, you're seeing a crisis, a humanitarian crisis, and ultimately, we're all going to pay for it. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Brett Witterbull in for Buck Sexton on The Buck Sexton Show. And I am Brett Witterbull. I'm in for Buck Sexton. Happy to be spending this time with you on another beautiful day here in the greatest country on the planet, uh, it is the Buck Sexton Show and the phone number to be a part of the conversation, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Uh, over the course of the last couple hours, you know, we've gone into a, a lot of very different uh, and interesting areas. And, and let me, if, if I may, take you into some of the madness that is the, uh, the, the West Coast. The madness that is the West Coast, the lunacy that is the West Coast. I, I alluded to this in the prior segment, this idea that in our country today, the idea that in our country today, um, you, you, can, uh, you can face a near felony charge for uh, illicit possession of plastic bags, single-use plastic bags, and, and of course, uh, straws as well. It is a complete and total nightmare. And uh, Sabria Chowdhury, writing over in the Wall Street Journal, has this very interesting piece in Plastic Bag Wars, the industry fights back. Now, let me, let me give you the basis for this, because whatever happens here will eventually drift eastward towards where you are or northward or well southward would be mexico but but from here in california this stuff this stuff drifts and i don't mean the pollution i mean the bad policy that gets created and crafted so you have trade groups now coming out and having to defend their straws defend their straws this this is amazing the backlash against single-use plastic has engulfed straws, bags, and takeout containers, but the plastics industry is fighting back, arguing that alternatives can be worse for the environment and disruptive for business. Trade groups are spending more on lobbying, reaching out to consumers and promoting recycling amid mounting their message. Plastic bans target only waste and don't take account of environmental negatives if you use raw materials, meaning paper bags. Remember paper bags? Back in the day, you'd get your stuff, your choice was paper or plastic. Well, that, that, that forever was, was the big question. And then we switched from the paper to the plastic. Why? Because we were deforesting the trees. Oh, the trees were dying. Uh, it was terrible. The world was coming to an end. So we switched to plastic. Flimsy, single-use plastic bags. And we all got used to those. And then, and then, like a bolt 
from the dark. We found out about the great garbage patch out in the Pacific, the gyre out in the Pacific, twice the size of Texas, uncleanable, all caused by the American people and our plastic bags and our straws. So here in San Diego, I'm not lying when I tell you this, you have had communities get together and outlaw the following single-use plastic bags. They have outlawed straws. They have outlawed polystyrene takeout food containers. That's right, the styrofoam containers where you get the takeout from the Chinese place or, or the lunch place where you got a sandwich and some chips. Yeah, th that's been outlawed as well. Why? Because it kills the animals. There's no such regulation on Mexico. There's no such regulation anywhere else. We're the only people doing it. I tell a funny anecdote about a friend of mine who was at a bar in San Diego having a couple of cocktails with some friends. The, 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 the waitress, and I hope that's, not a, I hope that's not an offensive term, but the waitress uh, came over, the server came over, and he, he said, could I have a straw? And she, she took her finger and stirred his drink with her index finger. And when he recoiled in horror, she said to him, don't worry, it's alcohol. There's no germs in there now. That's the kind of craziness that we have going on out here in California. And so the plastics industry and, and all these other uh, groups are getting together and they're trying to tell you that they're not the biggest problem. They're not the biggest threat to the world. Do you know what the number one threat to the world is? Anybody know what the number one polluting item in all the world is? Cigarette butts. Cigarette butts are number one, followed by food wrappers, plastic beverage bottles, and plastic bottle cap caps. You got to go way down the list till you get to grocery bags or other plastic bags or straws or takeout containers. You got to go way down the list to get to those numbers. And, and, and look, I, I get it. Nobody wants to see some seagull uh, coughing up a plastic bag or a sperm whale suffering because he's ingesting so much plastic. But understand this if you understand nothing else. We in the United States are a clean country. We, we don't pollute nearly as badly as the, the countries in Asia. We don't pollute nearly as badly as uh, th those nations in, in South America that have much, much more lax and loose environmental regulations. Think about this for a second. I want you to think about the, uh, the, the notion of currents and energy and that sort of stuff that happens. In what direction, in what direction do storms approach the United States if you're on the West Coast? Do, do they come from Texas? Do they come from Alabama? No, they come from the Pacific because the Pacific flow is toward the, the coast of the United States, the Pacific coast of the United States. That's where the flow comes. So where do you think all the pollution's coming from? Where do you think the plastic and the containers are coming from? Oh, that's right. You guessed right. It's Asia. We're not the biggest polluters. In fact, it's China that's a bigger polluter. In fact, it's other nations in Southeast Asia that are bigger polluters than we are. And we haven't even gotten anywhere near the cigarette butts yet. We haven't gotten anywhere near those cartridges yet. That's the problem. Oh, and while we're at it, while we're at it, being that I'm in the state of California and many people in this state are in a state of unconsciousness, um, tell me about how those, those heroin syringes those those needles and those syringes tell me about how it is that they 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 decompose when you put them in a land no see last time i checked those are made out of plastic too aren't they and they are 
They are ankle deep on the streets of San Francisco and on the streets of Skid Row in Los Angeles and, and have been on the streets of the city of San Diego where I'm sitting. They, they have absolutely been that deep. And tell me how healthy it is for the environment for people to use sidewalks as toilets. I just, for, for the life of me, I mean, I get that we're going to get rid of plastic bags and I get that we're going to get rid of straws, but we're ignoring there. And oh, by the way, by the way, Mind you of this fact, when we got rid of the single-use plastic bags, those thinner one-ply plastic bags that sometimes if you just put in uh, too, too many six-packs of soda and, and then a box of cereal, it would tear the bag open because they were so flimsy. When we got rid of those, we replaced them with like nine-ply plastic, reusable plastic that you get at the supermarket for 10 cents a bag. Those things will survive an atomic detonation. They will not decompose in the face of a thermonuclear uh, warhead going off above them. They will survive literally anything, including being shot into the sun. They will not melt. They will not decompose. So what we did was we traded the paper bags, which were fine, for the single-use plastic bags, which were fine, and now we got rid of those two things in the hopes that we'll use even thicker bags. It's absurd. This is why regulation this is why regulation is a nightmare when you do not properly implement it. The issue is polluting. The issue is littering. The issue is discarding your garbage out in public. Maybe if you wrote a ticket for the quality of life crimes for the idiot that throws garbage all over the beach or throws garbage all over the streets, maybe you hit him with a ticket for $500. Maybe you'll start to change the behavior. Instead, it's lowest common denominator behavior in America today, folks. You put up with it. Why? Because they know you'll put up with it. When you go to the drugstore and you have to show ID and ask permission to buy a box of Sudafed. Why? Because a bunch of folks running meth labs decided they weren't going to use it for the intended uh, purpose. And they, they, they want to make methamphetamines out of Sudafed. When you go to the, uh, to, to the big box store and you want to get yourself a can of spray paint because you got to touch up the patio furniture for the, uh, for the summer season. You got to go find the pimply faced 16 year old kid with the key to give you permission as a full grown adult tax paying person, uh, permission to get a can of spray paint because you might go home and huff that. Right. That's that's what you hear all the time. Or if you want a Sharpie pen or a box cutter, you got to fill out a, a piece of paper with a seven day waiting period before you can get those because you, you might go and tag. I don't know about you. I'm guessing many people in this audience that listen to Buck Sexton are not out tagging on the weekend. They're not out doing scratchiti. They're not out huffing paint and they're not out cooking methamphetamines in their backyards. We're living like hostages to the dopes. And that's a frustrating reality in America in 2019. So next time you get yourself a single-use plastic bag and you don't know what to do with it, you may want to mail it to a deserving family right here in California. We can't get our hands on them anymore on account of pollution. We can't get our hands on them anymore because of laws. Laws written by well-meaning bureaucrats that only seek to add to the drama and the trauma. I don't know about you, but I'm done living by the lowest common denominator. I am done comporting my life around what it is that some unelected bureaucrat or elected uh, wannabe uh, control freak in Sacramento or Washington, D.C. wants to tell us to do. I want to be free. I'm not into the socialism. I choose freedom. And I believe most people in this country, if you get them in a quiet place, will feel just as frustrated as we do about the limits on our liberties when it comes to consuming 
what it is we want, using what it is that we want, and managing our lives. In my entire life, I've never once thrown a plastic bag filled with a bunch of takeout containers into the ocean. Why? Because I think it's rude. And I want to preserve my planet for future generations. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I'm Brett Witterbull from San Diego, in for Buck Sexton on The Buck Sexton Show.